0: You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Hey everybody, good evening, good to see you all, good to be together here on our midweek service and our topic today is a very important topic and one that I was actually looking forward to doing. I actually... Covered this topic in the morning devotionals, but I had a lot of recommendations that we do one at a midweek, um, so that everybody would get it because there's only a small group of people watching, able to watch the, the morning devos. The topic is Jesus and social justice. We've been doing Jesus, Jesus the physician, Jesus the teacher. Um, and, uh, I thought, you know, with everything happening in the world, and I know there's a lot of questions out there about justice and social justice and jesus and and I tried to answer as many of those as I could in the morning series but but I think it would be good to take an evening since so many uh most all of us are able to join in on on the evening services, and we could have a great discussion about this so um obviously uh social justice is a is a huge issue right now and and our world is having a watershed moment where where this is at the forefront this is the main topic this is what we need to talk about, what we need to have dialogue about. And as the world is shifting and, and you know, I prayerfully it's a, it's a very real shift that's really happening um, that we'll all look back someday and go, that was a turning point. That was a major turning point. There's been smaller ones throughout history, but this this prayerfully will be a big one. It's not just the United States. It's a global movement, a global change, a global shift, particularly in racial justice and, and that aspect of social justice, a change that in, in many, many, many ways has been long, long overdue. And and we're finally all this is kind of coming to a head and coming to the surface. And not that we're we've we're through it. We're not through it. We're we're in the middle of it. And um but it is raising a lot of questions about God and spirituality and how does us Disciple process all this, and how does a disciple of Jesus get through it? And we also have the, you know, a major danger of, of responding worldly in either way, either people being defensive or, or people uh, being uh, attacking others or, you know, in any way that that we, we want to be great examples to the world, amen, on, on such an important change that is so needed in our world, and we want to make sure it's done right and done thoroughly. And so, of course, as disciples of Jesus, we always turn to Jesus, and, and there's where we get our answer. So the, 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 it's actually going to be a two-parter with the sermon on Sunday being Jesus and social justice. And we'll actually be able to focus more on Jesus on Sunday. The, the first part, I'm just calling it part one, God, because Jesus didn't step in from, you know, nowhere. He came from God and he was standing on a mountain of scripture and belief that was already established about what god thinks what how god sees things and this is really important for us because i'll tell you why because justice is a huge topic to god it's very important to god um we've looked at it from a lot of different angles in the morning devo and if you want to you know take this at a slower pace go back and see the three the three lessons on on justice, social justice. But, but, um, but, you know, God is very concerned about justice. This is a huge part of who he is. Like he is love, but he's also righteousness and holiness and justice and mercy. And our, our, our word that we're going to be working a lot with is misfat or mispat, which um there's other words, but this is the main word that we, we, we use when we talk about justice, Justice in the Bible, and how God sees justice. Um, it comes out over 130 times. Uh, Mispat is in Hebrew, the Old Testament, and then crisis, crisis, or crisis, if you will, in the New Testament, which tells you something about crisis. When there is a lack of justice, there is a crisis, and that's what we're feeling today. That's what's happening out there, because the lack of justice— Has become so evident, so much so that uh, that it cannot be ignored, or it will not be ignored anymore, and and so a lot of people are becoming awoken, or becoming aware, or 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 even realizing that that their silence has been wrong, and or or seeing that the greater action this should have merited far greater action in the past, but. There's just a general awareness and waking up um, to, and, and here's the amazing thing. This is something that God's been concerned about forever since creation. In Isaiah 117, we read, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. God has always been a God who's very concerned that things are just, things are fair, things are right right that that he set up things that way and there's a lot of talk in the literature about the kingdom of god is where things are all right things are made right things are just things are fair things are as they should be as they're supposed to be one person doesn't victimize another person for any reason not for their color not for their race not for their religion not for their background but where we mutually respect and honor each other, because we're all God's creation. That's the kingdom of God. That's that's what the kingdom of God is is all about: is things being made right in all the relationships. So we'll get into that. But suffice to say at this point that misfit or 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 justice. It's an important topic. In Romans twelve two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And Ephesians 6, 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The huge advantage that we have is we have God to turn to. We have the the spirit to lean on and we know what is right and what is true. And that is what is spiritual, what is good, what is of God that we can turn to and find out what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live? We have Jesus to look at and find our path, you know, through troubles or over hardship or through healing or Whatever, whatever the need is, we have God to help us. But of course, that is a, that is a, a, a mindset that I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to find out what would Jesus do. I want to see what the scriptures have to say about this and to guide my heart, to guide my paths, to help me make decisions about what I do or don't do. And so justice, biblical justice, it's important to understand, and it's a much bigger thing than I think we've ever really thought about. Um, I love this definition. I found this definition under, uh, it was a Christian site, uh, but it says, biblical reference to the word justice mean to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and the natural creation. From a scriptural point of view, justice means loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and is rooted in the character and the nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and live in love. Um, this is a great definition because it kind of incorporates a lot of different scriptures and, and what, what why this is so important to God? Because it's being right with each other, right with him. Even the earth would be in that. Um, I drew this diagram of how we're supposed to be right with all these things, with God, with family, with our neighbors, that's the people around us, with the earth, with animals, with our spouse. Um, even with animals, it comes up in, in different scriptures in the Bible about how a righteous man takes care of his animals and how God cares about what happens to the animals. Um, you know, the, the, both Adam and Noah were given the express charges to take care of the creation. Um, and so we're responsible for that, that we're doing justice, that we're not being unjust with, with the, with the forests and the rivers and the trees and the creation that God gave us, the planet that God gave us. So, I mean, if you stop and think about this, it's kind of a scary thing that we are responsible for these things to be right, for, to have the right relationship and to, and to speak up. Well, we'll get there. I want to get ahead of myself. When these things are not right, when we're not right with our neighbors, when we're, when we are, uh, being unjust to any neighbor or unjust to anybody, any of these, these specific relationships, then everything's off. And that's, that's huge in the Bible. And I think what's exciting to me as a Bible teacher is, is, you know, I spent years trying to help our fellowship become aware of the importance of helping the poor. There's so many scriptures on it. It was so important to Jesus. It kind of was shocking to me how blind we have been for many years to the importance of it. And I went all over the world talking to people of leadership groups and evangelists and ministry leaders about Jesus' ministry, helping the poor. And I saw a change. I've seen a change where it's becoming part of normal church life for our fellowship to to help the poor and to have a conscience about it. I still don't think we're where the scriptures teach. I still don't think we have the conviction that God has. And what I see is a similarity with justice is that we all believe in it, of course, and we all think it's good, but when we see an unjust situation, are we is our conviction so deep and our belief in what the scriptures say, or is it strong enough to get up and do something about it? And I think that's part of the awakening right now is that we're realizing no, and at least for many of us who are not black, we've not been so aware or so sensitive or so loving or so uh on top of this and 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 for everybody there's going to be different awakenings there's going to be different levels of understanding but understanding that that justice if it's if it's missing with one it's missing with everyone and and if one part suffers every part suffers i mean that whole line of thinking that's that's a new radical thinking that we are just now stepping into. Should we have stepped into that long ago? Oh yeah. Long time ago. As a nation, yes, but even as a church of having that real deep conviction enough that it gets us to do things, gets up, us up out of our chairs and doing whatever we've got to do to get things right or to make things right. And this is, you know, this is, this is something new. This is part of our growth. Spiritually in our growth as a church. Um, there's a, there's a debate out there and I run into this all over. I'm, you know, I was looking on YouTube at all the videos on justice and there's probably more justices, more videos on justice that are against social justice than there are that are for social justice. A lot of the videos clearly are people afraid that if you devote yourself to social justice, that'll take you away from the Bible, the God, from God, that'll take you down a political road. And obviously that could happen, but that should not happen. And, and the truth is, it, social justice is part of justice. Um, you know, people say, well, you won't find social justice in the Bible. I've said that in the past. And no, you don't. You don't find sneakers in the Bible. You don't find backpacks in the Bible. But that doesn't mean they're not something we do. And then that doesn't mean that that God's against them. Now, how much more something that is the nature of God, like justice? I mean, the nature of God. How important is it? Um, the Oxford. Dictionary. I got this one because it's pretty good at official definition of social justice. Defines social justice as justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society, but vaguely defines justice as the quality of being fair and reasonable. That's, a, that's a great definition. Is God concerned about things being fair and reasonable? Absolutely. Is he concerned about the distribution of wealth? Absolutely. About opportunities and privileges within society? Absolutely. I can show you a dozen scriptures about it and a dozen warnings that if you, we don't do this, if we don't make sure everybody has equal opportunities, what he will do. So, so even though, yeah, social, technically social justice is not in the scripture, but justice is and justice. When it's about people, it's called social justice. And that's very much in the Bible. So, no, the topic social justice is not in the Bible, but the topic justice and about people absolutely is. Okay? That makes sense. So Micah six, one through eight, and I've read this many times. You guys are you're all gonna know it by heart by you know, he says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy to walk humbly with your god okay so the big 3 act justly what does that mean you carry out justice that you you promote it it's it it happens with you that you love mercy that you love uh, compassion and and empathy and care for others um that's hesed remember and then walking humbly with god we've talked about about those uh, a lot, but but here he is. God saying, "This is the sum of it all. This is the bottom line, guys. This is what's really important as Christians, as people of God. What's important to him that we we practice justice, that we love mercy and we're kind and compassionate with each other, and that we walk humbly with our God." In Exodus twenty three two, he says, "Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit." Do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. You know, most of these injustices that happened, that have happened, are all, there's some crowd that's a hateful crowd wanting something evil to happen, and people give in to that. And, And God is basically calling us that, look, you don't ever pervert justice because it's what people want or what other people think. Think We'll all stand before God by ourselves and get an account of our own lives. In Psalm 33, 5, it says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. You know, God loves it when things are righteous, they're right, and things are just, they're fair. You know, they're the way they're supposed to be. It's fair. Everybody's taking care of everybody. Everybody's loving each other. If one part suffers, every part jumps in and helps that's God's vision. That's what God's will is. That's what the kingdom of God is. In Psalm 103, 6, it says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. God works on these things. God sees, he sees what's happening. He sees the oppression. He sees when people are being wrong. He sees all this and absolutely he will take action. And I believe that's part of what's happening now. God's involved in this, is bringing awareness. And he's been ushering us for a long time to get us to wake up and see our responsibility. That age-old question, am I my brother's keeper? You remember um, Cain asked that? And the answer was yes. We're supposed to take care of each other. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to be there for each other. And when one person is oppressed, we're all oppressed and we're supposed to stand up for each other. And, and what I'm realizing, honestly, from what I've seen with working with the poor, from what I'm realizing now, what I'm learning from the scriptures, what I'm learning from, you know, everything that's happening around the world right now is that this is absolute. God is calling us accountable to this, that we do what's right for each other that we don't turn a blind eye that we speak up that is how poverty is, the extreme poverty of the world is going to be eliminated that's how we're going to get the 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 raping of our planet under control and pulled back and certainly I think how and the only way that the racial injustice is going to stop is when everybody's speaking out and that's, then that catches every elected official's attention because they're not going to get reelected. You know, the, the government, the leaders, we, people we choose to lead us, they are bound by the will of the people. But if people don't say anything or don't do anything, and especially if they don't vote, then, then we're powerless. We're voiceless. We're, we're powerless. So. The, hence all the scriptures on speaking up and standing up in Isaiah 121. It says, see how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice and righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers, you know, God sees it and he judges things. He sees when, 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 when there's systemic evil, he notices and he notes it. Um you know, and you notice that that, that always it's justice and righteousness, things to be right and things to be fair. And when they're not like that, and notice how he contrasts, used to dwell in her, but now murderers. This is what happens. Life or certain lives become cheap. They become cheapened when there's no justice. This is what happened in World War II to the Jews. This is what's happening to the black community in the United States for, for centuries. When, when people are racist or they devalue a group of people, life becomes cheap. Hence the name Black Lives Matter because the, the, these, the lives get cheapened by the injustice and the unfairness and God would have us set that right. He's absolutely paying attention. He's absolutely Infuriated by this, in Isaiah ten one through three, he says, "Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless." You know, I want to say something about this about the no, the, the the comment about the fatherless. If you notice, so many of these scriptures mention the fatherless. The, the children with no parents, or 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 it's just a single mom, that they struggling for survival, and how wrong it is. I mean, you know that God has a special place in His heart for kids that have no dad, or for single moms raising their kids with no dad around, because He's always mentioning it. He's always mentioning it, and if you look at our social indicators, who's in prison, what percentages had were fatherless. You know, who ends up in crime? Who ends up in troubles? a, A boy grows up and he has no father to influence him. And how easy he is picked and pulled into anything from gangs to terrorism. You know, because he doesn't have the direction. Life is hard and bitterness grows in his heart at a very young age. So God is saying, look, guys, keep an eye on these kids. Take care of them. Make sure they're being taken care of. Don't just leave them on the street and think they're going to disappear. They're not, they're going to grow up and you're going to pay for it later because they'll have to learn how to survive in ways we don't want them to do, to do things. But so anyways, I'm getting off the subject Says, what will you do on the day of reckoning? When disaster comes from afar to whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? You know, he's basically saying, look, all the haves, you better pay attention to what's happening to the have nots. And, and, you know, he sees when people are oppressed or when things aren't done right to them or nobody cares about the poor or nobody cares about orphans. He sees that and he's basically saying, you know, who are you going to turn to when you're in trouble? You know, because the day of reckoning will come. Amos, who is the prophet to the poor, he says, for I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins there are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. And, you know, that's usually the place where it's really obvious, you know, when you have disparity of sentencing and, and which, you know, there's tons of that going on. And I mean, he specifically names the courts because that's where justice is supposed to happen. That's where it's supposed to be guaranteed. And when it's not even there, there, what hope is there for people? What hope is there for anybody in the community? There is no hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. It makes people angry. That's what it does. So that's why there's anger because hope has been deferred because justice has been robbed. So that's, that's, that's a, just a snapshot of God's heart. And I, and all of this is to set us up for the Jesus and justice. Why? Because because Jesus is coming from God, right? And he is sent of God and he is the word in flesh. So these words we're reading, Jesus is this in flesh and you'll see him practice everything. You'll see him carry it out. There's generally a big fear of justice out there. There's, there's, there, there, there is. There's, I, I run into it, I, especially reading um, I've been doing a lot of research, especially the last two weeks on justice, and it's amazing how many articles are out there to make sure we don't get too focused on justice. There's more articles like that than there are articles studying, well, that I've run into at least, that are articles actually studying our justice in the Bible. And I can see why, because it's so huge, and it's so obvious that most churches, including our own, have paid little or no attention to it. And, and it's like, what in the world? It's huge. How can we not pay attention to this? How can we miss this? We can't. And, and the big fear out there, just to explain it quickly, the, a couple of things. One is that, um, there's a fear that we'll either be caught up in justice, helping everybody all the time, or we will be doing the mission evangelism. That somehow those are diametrically opposed, one or the other, and you can't do both. That's a bunch of garbage. You can absolutely do both. We don't, we don't struggle at home trying to decide, should we teach our kids to do right or should we feed them or should we teach them the Bible? Who makes that kind of a decision? Nobody splits it up that way. We love our kids. We teach them to be fair. We teach them to love God and we feed them, right? And we give them the medicine they need. We don't look at those and say, okay, which one are we going to do this week or what are we going to focus on this year? No, this is, we teach all of this because it's all true. It's all right. And it's all important. So it doesn't have to be evangelism or justice. It's both. The other danger is the social gospel movement. And you may have heard of that. And that's confused a lot with social justice. Social justice and social gospel movement are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, social gospel movement was a very large movement. And I'm including liberation theology in that for those of you that are, that are, that have read up on any of this stuff, um, is a, was a movement basically for Christians to get out there and heal the world of its problems, poverty, racism, hunger, uh, lack of medical medicines and things like that. But it was such a focus and such a drive that it did kind of pull people away from God's mission and the scriptures. And what the Bible teaches. And basically what it, what it held, did is it held up physical needs more important than spiritual needs. And anybody who's a disciple rooted in the word of God knows that the greatest need is spiritual needs. Those are the most important needs. The perfect example was the paralytic who was lowered through the roof was when Jesus looked at him, a man paralyzed from birth, right? Can't walk. He's lowered at a mat right in front of him. Jesus looks at him and says, what? He says, your sins are forgiven obviously making a major point there that this, his greatest need was to get his sins forgiven, not to have the power to walk. But then he also says, so that you may know the power of God, get up and walk, you know, and he does heal him. But the point he made first was that the most important need is always the spiritual need. But that doesn't mean we go to an extreme and we don't meet physical needs and we don't, and we don't do what's right with people. We have to do what's right. And and the Bible always gives what I call the guardrails, scriptures that keep us from going too far left or keep us from going too far right. The danger in topical studies sometimes is we'll study out love and we look at all the scriptures on love, but we don't look at the scriptures on righteousness. And righteousness, if love is the the guardrail on the left side or the right side, then righteousness would be the guard level or the guardrail on the left side. That we don't get so caught up in obedience that like some churches in the past would do medieval churches would would beat people into obedience because obedience was the most important thing to them. No, that was a that was a lopsided Christianity. They forgot that the Bible teaches loves the most important thing. So, yeah, you discipline, but you don't beat people because because obedience is not the most important thing. So there's rails that keep us from going Too far to the left, too far to the right. Deuteronomy 532, God tells, uh, Joshua, he says, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. And, and, you know, we, we, we have those tendencies. We, we, sometimes we tend to lean to the left or we tend to lean to the right. And you gotta be aware of that. You gotta be aware that, okay, I tend to be liberal or I tend to be conservative or I tend to be non-disciplinary and I tend to be the, you know, spank first, ask questions later. Um, we have our tendencies and some of us tend to be even biblically more just boom, you know, nothing that a good rebuke can't fix. And others of us tend to be more like, man, just, just love them, hug them, nothing that a good hug can't fix, you know, and, and know which way you are, but, but stay on the path because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And, and as long as we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, we know that our rules, there should always be a command, an example or an inference, right? um, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you save yourself and your hearers. As long as we got our eyes fixed on Jesus, as long as we got our eyes fixed on the scripture, the word of God, we'll see the command, we'll see the example, we'll see the inference. If you don't see those in the Bible, then it's just an opinion. And one person's opinion, it all depends on where they're coming from, the wisdom they have The you know, judge carefully. But, um, you know, going back to that model that I showed earlier of, of what, what, what justice means, it means having that balance. You know, we have all these things around us that we're trying to live out justice and service and mercy and love and compassion, forgiveness, humility, honesty, truth, faith, righteousness. The godly life is just, it's it's having all those things and giving them the focus and the attention that they need and not ignoring any of them. We tend to focus on one or two and forget the others. And then you've got a lopsided Christianity. If you fade out with some, your Christianity is just, it's full of holes. It's not, your faith isn't balanced. You really have to have them all. All the lights need to be on. Every, you know, where. Where are we're, we're really we're focused on everything Jesus gave us, and if you really want to simplify it, God gave us the answer in Micah six eight, and Jesus repeats it in Matthew twenty five. He says, "Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God." Those are the big three, you know that 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 balance us out, that keeps us in a good place, and you know I will say this, you know this is all set up for the sermon Jesus and justice and. And obviously, this is the background, the scriptures, the Old Testament, what God says. And I'll say this: this is, although I, I gave you guys a lot in a very short amount of time, but but this is only scratching the surface. I mean, there's a whole lot more. You want another level? Watch the watch the the series in the morning, the morning devotional series, and then uh, there's a whole lot more. I'll I, I'll have books that you can look at and stuff if you really want to study this out deeper, but. I will give just a taste of what's coming. You know, when Jesus started his ministry at the very beginning, it says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And I love this because here's Jesus introducing himself. And what does he introduce himself with? Scriptures about justice, about the one who brings justice to the poor the oppressed, the needy, the suffering. That's what he's here for. That's a pretty big introduction. And I would even add to that when the when John sent his apostles to ask them, to ask Jesus, are you the one? What did he say? He said, what do you hear? The blind see, the lame walk. Again, justice, <coughs> mercy, caring for others. And he calls it. And then the last thing, and we'll close out with this is, <clears throat> this is the last view of Jesus that we're going to get. This is the end. This is, uh, uh, oh, no, no, sorry. Not there yet. I'm jumping ahead of myself. And Isaiah wrote, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom and establishing Napoleon with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love this because he says, look, this is what God's going to make sure it happens. He's gonna bring his kingdom in. He's gonna usher it in. He will make this happen, where justice and righteousness are upheld by God Himself. And I love that. You know, it was the it was the closing of Martin Luther King's uh, sermon uh, on on uh, at the at the Lincoln Memorial. He said, "Let justice roll." Like a mighty stream, right? And righteous like a mighty river. And, um, he was quoting Amos. Amos was the one who said this. And this is God's will that, 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 that justice is established and that righteousness flows. And that's, that's a huge part of why Jesus came. And we've never seen it that way. We've never looked at it that way. But if we open our eyes a little more and, and understand what these scriptures actually mean, It's pretty awesome, and it's pretty inspiring what God is trying to do in our world. And that's we'll stop there, and that's good enough for today. Thank you. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.